0: Welcome to Tech Royalty, where we celebrate the kings of tech. I have here in the building one of my favorite people in tech, someone that I look at as a mentor from afar. He doesn't know it, but uh, I follow his movements, look at his courses. The one, the only, Aaron Saunders. Let's give him some applause. Definitely glad to have you in the building. So I wanted to start off with like, tell us how you got into tech and how you started like, uh, you know, the inclusive, Incubator and clearly innovative, and all that good stuff, and how you transitioned from that. Uh,
1: So, I started programming when I was in sixth grade, right? So, I I got into tech pretty early, and at that point, it was just a hobby, right? Because that was it, was many years ago without saying what my age is, it was many, many years ago. Same here. Um, So, you know, like it was, it was on a, I first started programming on a Commodore PET. So that's how long ago it was, and um, you know, back then tech wasn't what it is now, right? It, you know, now it seems like everybody wants to be a technologist, everybody wants to work in tech. It, it was just kind of this side thing that only you know people thought weirdos and nerds. It just was not the thing. Um, to me, it was just a hobby. I had never ever thought that I was going to have a career in you know on computers, and. Uh, In fact, I went to, I started college pre med. I didn't even start college for computers. And uh, after not doing so well in biology, I decided, let me just kind of step back and do something that I know how to do. And then that's how I ended up, you know, going to school um, and getting my degree in computer science as opposed to to something else. Um, And then from there, you know, it just came easy to me. You know, writing software was easy. There started to be more jobs. So it was never really a challenge finding a job. And, you know, now almost 30, almost 30 years later, I'm still at it, you know, still writing software every day, still trying to learn every day. Um, and, you know, what my focus has been like the last 15 years, still trying to help other people learn um, every day. So that's uh, kind of what my focus is.
0: Nice, nice. The
1: next after, after that, I think the thing you mentioned was the Inclusive Innovation Incubator and Clearly Innovative. Well, Clearly, innovative came before in terms of innovation incubator. Clearly, innovative was kind of an output of. I would been. I had a. Let's well, step back a little bit further. I had a good run in New York City, kind of pre nine eleven. So pre nine pre nine um, eleven, I was working. You know, during the first dot com bubble up in New York City, uh, working for e commerce company there. We worked on the first Disney store.com, first Nike store.com, first what was it ToysRUs.com. I went got to go to Europe and I worked on Marchispensers.com. Um so I had an opportunity to build a lot of software and travel, meet different people. When we worked on DisneyStore.com, I was out in uh I was out in California for a year working on that project. Um and the one of the things that I found interesting around that was it kind of gave you a real world view on building software for clients. Right? There's what I say to folks, there's a difference between sitting in front of your computer at night hacking out your software with you're driving the requirements, you're the customer, right? You don't you don't have any of those other additional right, you're by yourself. So you don't even have to worry about the dynamics of a team and you know, how do I work within a team and get stuff done. How do I meet with my client? Like, That's a whole different bag from sitting at your computer at night after your day job and saying, I'm building a company, right? They're they're two completely different things. Um, And so the experience that I had um, working for someone else, being able to work on these other projects, especially being like on the front line, like when we were working on Marks & Spencer, like we were physically at Marks & Spencer, right? Building a solution for them, client in the building. Same thing with Disney. You know, same thing with all these other places. So a lot of that kind of shaped how I looked at building software, and so much so that when I started my own company, you know, I always told my guys like, we are not software developers, right? We are we are providing solutions using technology, right? Because I wanted them to shift their mindset and be more client customer focused versus just getting all caught up in the technology, right? So after. That company was called Interworld. After Interworld, 9 11 left, had a short pitch stop at uh, Time Warner Cable, building some solutions there, and then eventually government work. And then the important thing is, then I finally was like, all right, I've done enough work for someone else. Let me try and start clearly uh, innovative and work for myself. And we started that almost 18 years ago uh, with an intentional focus on increasing black and brown folks in tech. We hired people without computer science degrees and we trained them. We paid them and trained them uh, to build software develop- developers and usually got them on billable accounts in about a month. And so, we, like I said, we've had a good 18 year run with Clearly Innovative. Um, we took a hit like everybody else did with COVID. Um, haven't quite gotten back to where we were you know, pre COVID. I think the largest Clearly Innovative was we were up around almost 20 people in our company. Where um, that we're, da- we're I'm not, I don't want to say down, we've resized we have like four or five core people. And then we kind of bring on contractors as we need them to kind of um, do additional work. Um, we're still pretty much in the same space. We lead with our mobile application development expertise because we've been doing it for so long. But in the end, for most of the clients we work with, we're building mobile applications, we're building websites, we're building administrative consoles, we're interfacing with legacy systems. So we're, for lack of a better word, a full stack JavaScript shop we build from front to back, everything's built in JavaScript. We keep pretty much everything in-house, uh, except we, out, we outsource uh, some of our uh, UI design. We don't have that in-house. And then last but li- not least, uh, Inclusive Innovation Incubator, which, which has been shut down, uh, grew out of work we were doing inside of Clearly Innovative. So in Clearly Innovative, we were offering free technology workshops and free entrepreneurship workshops um to kind of just support the community Uh, and the what what grew out of that was an opportunity the dc mayor's office put out a proposal to um, look for someone to run an innovation space in partnership with Howard university we replied we were awarded that opportunity to do that and we ran that right up until covid happened um like most other funding for programs like that uh after COVID, a lot of that money dried up, and the, you know the program is ended. So no, no more IN3. I'm still trying to find small ways to kind of do some of the work. Um, right now, we're trying to um, spin back up some of our uh, summer education programs. We used to run a summer uh, technology training program for kids, like middle school all the way up to high school. And so we're trying to see if there's an interest to spin some of that back up again this summer and then also my coo has a uh, financial services background worked a wall street for over 20 years and she's put together uh some content around um uh, financial education you know so you know something that's always mattered a lot to her was increasing you know, understanding of finances. You know, credit cards, bills. You know, what is a mortgage? What is a stock market? Just basic understanding of finance um, in the community. And so she she has some content uh, that we want to launch. And so we're pushing um, this financial um, training and also technology training that we want to try and run for some summer programs this year. Um, so that's kind of some of the stuff we used to do at In Three. I'm still trying to figure out what to do with my technical content at this point. All my content is free, uh, but I think I'm getting to the point now where hopefully I build enough of a brand that I can start um, putting out some paid courses and figuring out how to do some paid, you know, in-person training also. Um, so that, that's uh, that's kind of where we are today.
0: Nice, nice. I like that. As a black man, how's your experience building this stuff from the ground up as an entrepreneur and building out these initiatives?
1: I mean the reality is that, you know, there's the well kind of the interesting thing is as you said that as a black man what you experience doing that. The first thing is that once you start to do it, everyone just assumes that it's just for black people. Right. Right. It's like black people can't do stuff for other folks. It's like I don't I don't I don't understand that. but like the the content that I have to offer, experience, and skills, hopefully a knowledge Works just as well for other folks as it does for Black folks, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm competent and capable enough of of uh, working with other folks. Uh, but in the end, I think one of the challenges and I'm certain you've seen this in in our community is that it seems like when it comes to getting funding for the work to support our community, uh, rarely does that funding go to people of color, right? Somebody else gets the money to come in and support and 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 do the work in our community as opposed to folks in the community getting the money to support the community. Uh, I can honestly tell you that's one of the reasons why I pulled back from doing a lot of the work. Like, I just got burnt out. Like, IN3 was like a huge, you know, physical, mental, emotional, and financial burden on Clearly Innovative. Like, it almost sunk Clearly Innovative. Because I, was, I basically was pulling all the profits out of Clearly Innovative to support IN3. Uh, because I couldn't get any, other than the mayor's office, I could not get any financial support from anyone else in the community, from anyone else in the D.C. area. And, you know, it emotionally it hit me hard for the longest time. And this other brother I know, he basically told me, he's like, you didn't do anything wrong. You just didn't have the support that you needed. And so, you know, I know that mentally you're discouraged. And, you know, you're like stressing out, like, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? But it's like, you just didn't have the right partners. You didn't have the right, um, it it just wasn't the right time, place. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. And I think uh, time will tell.
0: Wow. And that is, that is something deep because yeah, a lot of times we don't have that support and funding, like you said. And I actually thank you for being very transparent on that because that is a, a glaring issue. Um, you know, like you said, you know, even the venture capital funds aren't really geared toward us in that way, you know, all of that kind of stuff, but, uh, you still went through, you know, it was resilient, you still were resilient and you still persevered. So that's a testament to that. And, you know, like you said, you have other initiatives coming up and I know you're doing like the teaching and building your brand. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit about building your brand and what made you do the, uh, pivot
1: well, the 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 thing is that, you know, I started clearly innovative because I believe that uh, there is great financial opportunity exists in the tech ecosystem. Like, there's money to be made here, right? And and so I want to scream as loud as I can to folks, uh, specifically folks that look like me, like, yo, you got to at least give this shit a try, right? I don't. I don't like. I'll. St- I'll tell you honestly. I don't believe in this. Everybody can code. BS. Right. I'm. I'm not on that train. Right. I don't think this is for everybody. Right. And, but, I think we need to find an on ramp for anyone who wants to try to try it, and and figure out this just might be the thing. I'll, I'll tell you one story. We had a guy who worked for us, um, who he stumbled into coding, right? And he was extremely good at it. And I asked him, why did you get into it so late? And he just said, well, no. he just didn't know about it. It was just never any, he just never considered it as an opportunity or a career path for him. I We uh, we taught a class at IN3 and I had this uh, woman who came and took the class and you know she would come in late sometimes. And, you know, one day I was just chatting with her afterwards and so She worked at Booz Allen, had a very successful career, and she was there trying to learn how to code. And I was like, "Yo, what's up with that?" She's like, "Hey, I like my job, but I I really enjoyed software development. I'm figuring out trying to figure out how to do a transition." And she's like, "Until I got to college, she just didn't even know that this was a field that she could go into, right?" So it's about exposure. And so the point is, like, how do we make sure as many people, and I hate saying this term safe space, but I I haven't found another term to say, another way to say it, like how many people are missing out on these opportunities because there isn't a safe space or a safe path or a safe person to have the conversation with where they can get what's the real deal? Like, let's, let's be real about it. There are gatekeepers in this community, right? There are gatekeepers in the tech industry, and there are folks that they will let in. And most folks who can get in without experience get in with relationships, just like anything else. Relationships matter. Relationships and some base knowledge, right? And so to me, I have some relationships, but I have a lot of knowledge. And I wanna share that knowledge to as many people as I can so that they can figure out if this is a thing for them, if it's a thing for them. Hopefully they get to the next place with it.
0: Nice. And do you see any way around the gatekeeping? Because that's a real big thing.
1: I I I I think in the end you just have to build shit. Right? It's easy to get shut down if you don't have anything to show for yourself. Right? And so that's why I think it's important to build something. Right? You can take your classes, look at your tutorials, read your books, but you gotta build something. And you can't wait till you get somewhere to build something. Because there's a certain set of experiences that you're only going to get from building, right, that you're not going to get from, you know, sitting in a class or or just watching a bunch of videos. Like, at some point, you just have to build stuff.
0: Nice, nice. And do you grapple at all with like imposter syndrome? I know you've done so much and accomplished so much. Is that something that still haunts you or you kind of I mean, conquered it?
1: I mean, it's it, it's I could honestly tell you, you know, a lot of the stuff we did at Iron 3, I had wanted to do earlier, but I was afraid to. do. Um, I wanted to start my YouTube channel earlier than I did, but I was afraid that people are gonna say this is just trash, right? And so this is something that I say to folks now, and like I'm going down to Render Atlanta and I'm gonna speak and you know, one of the things I'm gonna to say to folks out there is like, some of y'all could be up here, right? You just gotta, you just gotta do it. And and we need more folks to do it because every time a tech conference comes out, I scroll through the list of speakers, right? and there's usually the usual suspects, right? There's a couple of black and brown folks who you see. They're on the, They're already broke through. They're on the circuit. They are showing up at all these places. But it's like we need more folks that look like us to get up and get out there, right? And I'm going to keep it real. We need more brothers, right? You know, <laughs> we're here talking about men. You know, brothers of got to step it up. <laughs> like the sisters are out there. They're out there. Right. They they there doesn't seem to be this fear or this like uh, attack on who they are. Um, like they're just like, I'm going to work hard and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put myself out there and I'm going to learn from this experience. And I just it just seems to me. And this is something that I saw also running IN3 and trying to do men specific programming. Um, there just was this fear and not looking good.
0: I know all too well about it.
1: (laughs) You know, I am certain I will get up on the stage. You know, in two weeks, and I might make a mistake. I might say something wrong, but it don't matter because I'm human. And I got up here, and I did. I did the best I could, and I'm certain someone in the crowd will get get some value out of it. When I make my YouTube videos, I don't edit the hell out of like. You see how you see some of these YouTube tech videos, and dudes is just typing away, completely error free and perfect solution at the end, right? Come on, man, you know, that's, that's not how it works, right? Or they practice it so many times, word, right? Before they recorded it that it's 100. And then I don't want to convey to folks watching my videos that that's how the real world works, right? So usually what I do is I just start the camera, I know what I'm going to try to build, and I just start coding. And if I make a mistake, it's in the video. If I see a bug, it's in the video. Usually if I see a bug, I try to debug it live, but if it's like something that I'm really stuck on, I'll pause the video, I'll figure it out, I'll restart the video, and then I'll come back and I'll explain what was the problem, how I found it. And that's all just about keeping it real with folks. Like, this shit is hard. I think one of the hardest parts about learning software is learning by yourself, because what happens when you get stuck, you don't have anyone to support you, to help you, to answer you past that hump, And that might be the day you're like, this isn't for me, and it's like, no, bro. Everybody has days like that. (laughs) That's just part of this hustle. That's part of the deal. You're gonna have days where you're stuck. You're gonna have days you can't solve. Like after all the years I've been in software, there's still days that I will spend hours stuck on something simple, and then when I figure it out, I'll be like,
0: all the time, all the time.
1: And so you know, I I think that getting the word out on what's the reality. Versus kind of what is this illusion um, is really important.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you spoke to that because uh, it took me a while to even start this podcast because of that. It's like, yeah. I don't know, man, I'm not that kind yeah. of guy. I hate the way my voice sounds and, you know, all kinds of excuses instead of just going with it and just doing what you got to do.
1: Yeah, you got you to you go with it and you just learn along the way. And it's just about creating content. You know, and staying consistent, like I said, it's my YouTube channel. I was looking the other day. I've I've got like almost 275 pieces of content out there now. You know, and it's just, I'm certain there's some good videos. I'm certain there's some bad ones. I look at my v- new videos I'm putting out now versus what my older ones were. And I'm like, you know, I've come a long way. It's funny you mentioned what you sound like. My first couple of videos, I never recorded my voice. What I did was... Uh, you're old enough to do you remember the vh1 pop-up videos absolutely that's how i did my videos back then so i would just code and then every now and then a little cloud would pop up kind of explaining what i was doing and then just move on to the next section because i would just i was like i hate the way my voice sounds then finally i realized it don't matter you know just deal with it it'll it'll all be okay and uh then i started recording my videos uh,
0: with voice Nice, yeah. I definitely gotta check out those React Native ones because I'm looking into doing some React mobile development. Maybe check it out, play a little bit with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny. I I uh, I always go back and forth with, with React Native. Um, I've done some React Native stuff, clearly as you can see from my website, but you know, I still go back to Ionic stuff. And when I talk with clients or people that are interested about it, they always ask me, well, "Why don't you just do React Native?" And I say because I'm just a better JavaScript developer. And 99, well, I won't say 99, 90% of the things that people are trying to solve with their mobile applications, um, I can do in JavaScript with Ionic and Package and Capacitor. And then it gives me more time to focus on the business that I'm trying to solve, as opposed to trying to learn a completely new platform, um, dealing with some of the problems that you get with React Native versus just, I mean, it's just a website, right? A mobile, a lot of, and if you think about it, a lot of mobile apps are even simpler than a website, right? The constraints that you have on the side of the device, the constraints around standard user interfaces, it makes it just so much easier to build a mobile application if you understand that there's tools like Capacitor to just package it up and deploy a device. Instead of, yes, React Native is React, but it's not a website and there's a lot of magic happening there that when stuff goes wrong it can go terribly wrong.
0: and it will go wrong trust
1: so but you know react native has a huge following and my point is if you have the time and the means to stop focusing on your business and learn react native and build a react native application then go for it You know, one of the things that that I've kind of accepted a long time ago, and I mentioned to you earlier, is that to me, the technology is just a tool. I'm not going to fall in love with any of it, right? I'm just going to find what works for me, what gets me to add value for my clients, make some money, feed my family, and keep it moving. You know, if a client comes to me and I try to get them to do Ionic because I know I can do it faster, better, cheaper, and they don't want to, and they're like, well, it has to be React Native, I'll build it. You know, I've built some React Native projects for clients, and as we get through it and we run into issues, and I'm like, "Bro, this could have been easier. <laughs> we just built it as a website and packaged it. You know, there's nothing you're doing here that's rocket science. Why does it need to be this hard? You know, you know, find someone inexpensive, design the web pages, just HTML, CSS, package that, join up, add some plugins, and keep it moving.
0: Yeah. I think clients get caught up in like what's new and trending and what's hot. And they're like, we want that.
1: I mean, I usually, I'm usually frank with them. I I will charge you more money to build a react native application than I'll charge you to build an ionic application. Because A, it's just cheaper to find JavaScript developers. I mean, let's just be real, you know? And there's a lot of folks out there doing react native who shouldn't be doing it because they barely even understand how to, you know, I mean, they just don't know what the hell they're doing. They watch a couple of YouTube videos and now they're like, I'm a React Native developer and I'm going to build some application And the, until some of the plugins start dying and the version numbers are incorrect and, and the build's not working and yeah, you got Xcode open trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And then you're just like...
0: Uh, <laughs> it's going to take more than some videos.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't want people to think I'm hating on React Native. I'm not hating on React Native. I'm just saying as a businessman who's got to run my business this goes back to the conversation where i started out there's a difference between building an application on your own time with your own dime you know while you got a full-time job paying your bills versus i got to build this product because if i don't get this built i can't eat. right (laughs) there's there's two different approaches to those problems and you know as i said someone running a business i have to factor that in right i gotta factor in i i can only charge this much money to build a solution i have competitive pressures coming from offshore from all, like all these other pressures so if i'm a, a black man living in america trying to build solutions and i get clients i am constrained by how much i can charge it's just a fact right um, so how can i be competitive and build solutions and make money. And to me, what I've come to is like building building websites and packaging with Capacitor is is the most effective and efficient way for me to add value for my clients, be able to iterate quickly, and um, and make some money. So that's what I do. And you know, I keep looking at new stuff, see if there's something better. You know, like when I started my company, we were building with Angular. I don't build with Angular no more. Thank God. You know, uh, I, I, we moved on to uh, React, and uh, we've been doing more Vue stuff now. I think that for some folks, just the mental model around Vue.js JS is a lot easier for them to uh, comprehend than around React. But on the flip side, React has such a large community; it's a lot easier to find support and help for problems. So it's it's kind of kind of like a trade off. But like those are things that I think about. Um, when I'm applying technology to a problem as opposed to, well, I just like react so I'm just going to react, right?
0: Nice. And what do you like most about being an entrepreneur and kind of like a trendsetter in this space?
1: I like being an entrepreneur because it gives me the freedom, uh, freedom and flexibility. I guess it's, uh, in theory, a lot of people are getting that freedom and flexibility by, quote, working from home. And then, you know, having the ability to kind of do what other whatever, it, uh, whatever else it is they need to do, just long they can, you know, dial in for any meetings or, or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I I have, uh, you know, for the last 18 years, I've run my company, I have two young kids at home, uh, my son is off to college, but, uh, you know, I have a young daughter. Uh, it's given me the flexibility to kind of be there with them in the mornings, pick them up from school, just kind of do some other things that I know if I had a regular nine to five job, specifically working in an office, and I just wouldn't have been able to do those things. Um so I'm I'm very happy about that. As an entrepreneur, I don't I don't think I would have ever been able to, you know, start my YouTube channel, do the blogging, and do a bunch of the other things that I'm doing if I had a regular nine to five job. Like, I mean, I'm certain you know this, but like it takes time to create the video. And you can't just squeeze that in after work when you got a wife, a kid and stuff like you need to spend some time during the day working on this stuff. Right. You need to spend some time researching what's happening, what's interesting. Like these things take time, even just for a 30 minute video. Like it takes time to do this stuff. But I don't think I would have ever been able to do it um, if I had a regular night.
0: Word. So true.
1: Definitely, I love it for this way. I don't think I would be able to do it and maintain the relationships that I needed to with my family.
0: Yep, I know that's right.
1: It's a regular nine to five
0: job. Yep, yep. Yeah, I was also going to touch on that because that's something that we run into a lot. You know, as an entrepreneur, like you said, working in tech, going to conferences and and teaching and preparing things. How do you like balance that time, like to spend with the family? Because I know you got a wife and children, like you said. And I know it can be definitely a challenge.
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, but, you know, I actually had a conversation with the, about that with my wife earlier in the year saying, you know, I was out, I was out in the streets a lot when I was running I-3, right, because I just, I just needed to be out. And then, like I said, COVID hit, things slowed down. But, um, you know, as an, as an entrepreneur, you got to be out in the streets. you got to be, like, you need to, especially for the work that I do, like I need, I need lead gen. I need clients, right? Like I'm a services firm. I can't be just sitting at home all day, you know, on Twitter, hopefully and running Facebook ads and hopefully finding clients, right? Like even to this day, I'm still getting clients from folks that I met. I mean, getting work from folks that I met. Like we have a client now. So, like mm-hmm. we, uh, we started with them last year. That It came from a, a guy that I met at a conference probably four years prior. And the company he worked for needed to build a solution, and they were reaching out to folks, and he remembered that he met me at this event four years ago. <laughs> and we got on a phone, we talked about his problem, and we've now been engaged with them on a project that one project that just wrapped up, and we, we about a month ago, we signed paper for phase two of the project, right? Uh, a lot of the work that we get are from people that I've met face to face from my past. And it was one of the things that when, when I go back over, you know, cause every day and then we, we look back and say, where are these coming from? Where are the deals that we actually closing from? Like a large percentage of them are coming from people that I've met face to face from being out. And so I just need to get back out on the streets, you know? And so, like I said, speaking at renders is important, you know, um, I think people have shifted to trying to build more relationships online. I mean, since COVID and everyone got comfortable building relationships that way. And so that's why, you know, the YouTube videos matter a lot more. I'm way more active on social media than I was before, you know, promoting myself. Before I was just, I didn't use Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I didn't use all of them as a marketing kind of branding tool. I just use it as, you know, I'm just out here chatting about stuff, right? Sharing information. And I've kind of shifted my focus a little bit more, recognizing that um, there are a lot more people on those platforms looking for the type of services that I have to offer. And if you don't raise your hand and say, hey, this is what I do. I'm w- one of the other clients I work with right now, uh, he never knew that I built software. Right? He just saw me as a guy who talked about software. right? <laughs> but didn't know that I actually hire and bring on clients and do work like that. And so that's another thing. Like they say, if you don't ask for the order, you can't get it. Right. So you got to put it out there and say, I am looking for order.
0: Yeah, you're right. And it's good that you mentioned that because a lot of my clients I get is definitely through referrals. So I a hundred percent agree. Even um, when I go get jobs as well, I never, I haven't applied for a job in, Probably six years, it's always a recruiter comes to me or someone refers me. Yeah, it's
1: good. I mean, it's, 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 it's another thing that folks gotta realize, your brand does matter, right? Your individual brand matters. Uh, because like you said, not everybody's gonna go work at, at the Fang at the big ones. And so it's important that, uh, I, I think it's important that it matters. I, I don't think that people should completely get consumed by this. Um, you definitely need to find a balance but uh, I, I do think your brand matters.
0: hundred percent. And what else do you do like to decompress because you're, you know your mental health is definitely your wealth as well?
1: Video games. Which ones? I play video games. Uh, I'm try- I try not to get too because, because video games also can put you into isolation because you just kind of disappeared to them. So I got video games and my wife, we have grandkids now and I got kids. And so I, I a, lot of, a lot of family uh but uh, family watching watch watching some t v chilling just I really like like you said, a lot of it is just about decompressing and trying to get my mind off of work when one of the challenges that when you're an entrepreneur it's 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 almost like every day is a work day, and so you need to find strategies to kind of separate that like I always go back and forth on getting a we work space or any sort of co-working space just getting an office just to have the separation so that maybe the physical separation will also give me that mental separation of like while i'm at home i'm at home and when i leave and i go to work i know that's my work and when i leave work i'm back in my home space maybe i'll do a little bit of work but it's not like like now i get up in the morning i get my cup of coffee i sit down at my desk and i'm eight hours right and then it's always here because I ha- I don't have that separation of work from work and home. So
0: Yeah, because I was going I was vacillating in between the like a co working space as well and like having a space in the house, which I have, but uh like you said to kind of put that separator where I'm home, I'm home, and then when I'm out there in the office, I'm in the office.
1: Yeah. Right. So, but I mean, uh, uh, hopefully other people find interesting ways to kind of manage bat- that, but I think it's important to, to you know, to find that separation. It's like people say you shouldn't, like people say about your bed, like they say you shouldn't sit in bed all day and eat there and read there and do all that other stuff because then it's kind of hard to say, I know that bed is where I go to sleep and get my rest because it's just your place you always are.
0: Yep.
1: Back to the gaming though, you know, I'm a... Uh, I, I was a big Xbox guy, but then, you know, I started playing some of the PlayStation games and it kind of sucked me in deep in PlayStation. Ghost of Tsushima was a big one that dragged me deep down the hole of PlayStation. And then uh, my son's really big in gaming also, and so he got me hooked on Spider-Man. So I had to play Miles Morales, and now I'm halfway through the other Spider-Man. I did Miles Morales and then went back. But then I also had to take a detour for Horizon So I played that one, and I played Horizon 2, and then now they have the DLC, so i got to get back on that. All good games, by the way. I haven't really been on my Xbox much lately. Every now and then I'll pop on there and see what's on Game Pass and play some games. And uh, my new one is, because I've never been a PC gamer, I bought a Steam Deck. So I've been uh, venturing playing some games on my Steam Deck. It's kind of pretty amazing what they've managed to do on this little device. Uh, So... Also, I'm just a tech guy and a tinkerer, so you know, I did. I really need a Steam Deck, no, but you know, it's just kind of an interesting thing, so I wanted to play with it and check it out. So those are the the kind of things that I do. You know, trying to spend find ways to spend more time with my wife now. Also, that's always one of you know, don't want to, you don't want to get too comfortable, right? You know, I want her to know that she's appreciated and loved, and so one of the ways to do that is to make time for her and do some things together.
0: Yeah, absolutely so how do you like the steam deck so far
1: like i said it's it's pretty amazing for what it does um you know we went we took a trip to my uh not miami to orlando to my parents and my sister and you know just being able to pop the thing out flip it on and and play video games are pretty cool uh, it's definitely pretty cool like i would like i would never pack up my xbox which i've actually seen some people do like Take their Xbox and a PlayStation with them on vacation. That's a little much for me. um
0: Nah, it's too big, man.
1: Yo, I've seen people do it. I see people with like a suitcase carrying on just their game stuff in it, <laughs> and I'm like, but with this, I will take this with me, and I and I will play games because like I try gaming on my phone, but it's just too kind of small. I'm getting a hard to see that stuff. This screen's a little bit bigger, and it's it's just a lot with the just the way it's structured. It just makes it more more reasonable. I, I enjoy it. It's a nice little escape. Play and I think also the fact that the battery life also has kind of a built in uh, timer to say, All right, you've been playing long enough,
0: yeah. you know,
1: put it down and go spend some time with your family.
0: Nice, <laughs> I like that, I like that, but yeah, I still can't get over that. People are packing their Xbox, and I've seen the new Xbox, yeah. it is huge. And even this PS5 I have is like it takes up probably like a quarter yeah. of my desk <laughs> now that I have,
1: yeah. The, the PS5, that thing is a beast. It's it's entirely too big. Um, but also kind of like the work-life balance. Uh, like I mean, you know, I think it's been like like two years ago, I went to the Bahamas for six weeks to teach down there.
0: Yep, I remember that.
1: And, and uh, you know, that was also kind of another kind of turning point, pivot point in my life was uh, going down there. A, just because since I was down there by myself and my family, you know, after... You know, so I would teach in the morning and then I had office hours in the afternoon for all the students. And then, you know, you just had the rest of the day to yourself. And so I I started walking more, exercising more, going down to the beach and just chilling. And I that was kind of the break that I needed to kind of put me on the path of that to say, hey, Aaron, it's OK to take a walk. It's OK to relax. You know, whatever work problem that you think you have to run back and solve. It'll be there tomorrow.
0: Trust me, work never stops. Yeah, it'll definitely be there.
1: Yeah. So you got so you have to stop it. right? You gotta say I'm done. And uh deal and it'll it will be okay tomorrow. There's even times with some of our clients, like I'm just is like, Yep, I understand that's a problem and you know, we'll get to it on Monday. You know, because it's like I've been down that path that I've heard other developers are where you're just so focused you just burn yourself out. And yep. you're just like, Oh, I'm just gonna grind this one week. And then next week it'll be okay. No, no, bro. It it's there'll be some other problem next week. So if you don't take that break you need, you're just gonna it's just gonna be bad.
0: Yeah, as a developer for the last twelve years, I can tell you that don't work.
1: And honestly, if your client doesn't understand that, then maybe that's not the right client for you. Because you're doing them a favor. Like they, they wanna grind you to the ground for these first couple of weeks, then you're gonna be dead for like the next week or two, just trying to recover. So they didn't really gain anything. Right. And then when you come, recover, you're going to be behind schedule because you were burned out those last two weeks. And then you got to grind again. The cycle just never ends. Right. So got to got to figure out how to plan, plan better, estimate better, communicate better. A lot of the soft skills that aren't really spoken about a lot in software development.
0: Yep. That's the whole truth. Absolutely. And have you ever had to fire a client?
1: I haven't had to fire a client, but I've I gave him the slow fade. <laughs> just just give them the slow fade, where finally everybody realizes that hey, this isn't really working
0: out. Oh man, I don't know. I I, I like firing clients now.
1: <laughs> uh, so so um, a, a lot of times the the problem not the problem, but the challenge is that sometimes the clients just don't know, right? There's, there's there's a mismatch of expectations and whatever you do to try to get them on board, like they just can't wrap their head around that. End. And then that's when you got to give them the slow fade or just, you know, get to the end of the project and just say, hey, I just don't think it's working on. There's probably another, you probably want to find another firm and then it's probably that's better fit for you. Right? I, I don't think I've ever done the harsh one. Usually it's like we get to the end and I just basically say, I just think that I'm not the right, you know, my firm isn't the right firm for you. You know, and if you want me to, I can make some recommendations for other places. Um, I mean, I, we had this one client I worked with for a long time and, you know, I enjoyed working with them and everything, but then like they came to us one day and they were like, um, we need full access into the source code repo that you're working on. Um, and we need access day to day. And I was like, that's not how we work. I'm like, we're more than happy to set up a separate repo for you. When we reach our end of our sprint and you pay us for the work we're done, we will basically do a pull request and merge all of our changes into the repo you have access to. And then you have access to the source code you paid for and uh, they weren't comfortable with that like they wanted to be able to be into the same repo that we were working in day to day and i tried to explain to him why i thought this was a was something that i've never done before and b i just didn't think it was the right thing to do and eventually we just weren't the right firm for him anymore because he wanted someone who was able to do that for him and we parted away and it was unfortunate like we worked with them for quite a while and you know, they were happy with what they'd gotten from us, but it was just this one sticking point. And like I said, there's, I, I don't understand it. Um, but they're the client and if that's what they wanted to do, they have every right to make their request and we have every, to, every right to reject your request, <laughs> which is what we did. And, um, you know, that's that we, that, that was a whole way you need to figure out how to fill.
0: Yeah. Clients will, will take you on a trip. Definitely.
1: Yeah. I just didn't wanna start something that would become completely unmanageable later. And then what if I have five clients I'm starting to ask for that, right? What if you accidentally jack up something inside the repo? How do we decide who's messed what up, right? I mean, there were just so many things that could go wrong with that approach. I was like, nah, let's not do that. So. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But, uh, do you have any words of wisdom you want to give any young brothers that are looking to transition into tech and even transition into entrepreneurship if they say, "Well, they're nine to five grinders, and for me, I want to start my own tech hustle?
1: Hey, don't quit your day job. that's the number number one rule. Don't quit your day job like even when I started clearly innovative, like I had a regular full time job i didn't I didn't quit my when I finally quit my full-time gig, I had already had three employees and I had more than enough work to fill my day and fill my three employees' time. That's when I quit my day job. Um, I mean, just think of your day job as capital to invest in your company, right? And especially if you're going out on your own, you're gonna need some money in the beginning to get started um, and a lot of folks ain't got friends and family. Like, I don't know how many family members are going to be happy. You quit your day job and start to do business, then the next week you're asking them for money. <laughs> like, bro, you should get the job. <laughs> um, so that's one. And, and two, the other thing is, which I see a lot of folks who, who struggle with that is, like, just because you're a good software developer doesn't mean you're going to be a good uh, business owner. Because running your own business is more than running software. Right. So like I recognize that relatively early on. And, you know, I hired someone who manages the business side of my business. Right, My focus is on branding, building basically building in my brand to drive business, to generate leads, focus on architecture and all technical issues related with the project. And I have someone who focuses on everything else. So HR, taxes, billing, like all that other crap. That when you when you're a good developer and you're like, oh, I'm gonna start my own business. And then the next thing you know, you're spending more than half your time doing all the other crap and not doing the stuff you like doing. Like that's one thing that a lot of folks when they first hop in, they don't recognize. Like it takes there's all this other shit that needs to be done to run your business. Right. And it's more than just writing code. Like you could be the best developer in the world, but it doesn't mean you should be running your business, right? You can still open your development shop. And have a big role in it but i encourage you to hire smart people to put around you to do all the other stuff you don't like to do like i don't like managing projects like i can do it but i don't like doing it like i don't like being the guy who's in jira writing all the tickets checking all the tickets making sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do you know getting a report ready for it we do weekly meetings with our clients getting a report ready for them like i just don't like doing that stuff I don't want to spend 20 minutes on the call, explaining to a client some shit that I've told them twice already, <laughs> right? So I have somebody else who does all that stuff for me so that I could do what I'm good at. I could do what will add value to the work we're doing as opposed to spending time in those meetings and spending time going to JIRA and organizing, like that's just not an effective use of my time. And so the advice that I give to folks when they're starting, if you're a really, really good developer and you want to start a shop, make sure you hire someone. Make a list of all the shit you don't like to do, <laughs> right? And make a list of someone or some place where you're going to get someone to be able to do those things for you. And it, there's no shame in asking for help. That's probably one of the biggest things. And there's no shame in not being 100% owner on your shit. So there's some things to think about.
0: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with all of that. And I am a very firm believer in letting the expert be the expert. So, yeah, I will outsource it to that person and delegate it as needed. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a spreadsheet jockey.
0: I am not an accountant. So (laughs) I do my own accounting. I may end up saying I get a $2 billion refund. (laughs) and They're like, what? That's possible.
1: Yeah, and and find your way to jail. Not passed
0: exactly. Nope. That is one of the things to think about. Is there any other uh, things you have coming up? I know you have like conferences and stuff, or any initiatives you have coming up that you want to let everybody know about?
1: Well, like I said, you know, we're trying to we're we're at what I forget what the marketing term is. We're we're trying to identify if there's interest for um, some of my. Technology training programs. So pretty soon, we'll have some stuff posted and I'll promote on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, for lack of a better word, basically surveys that we're going to put out um, to, to get idea like what kind of training are people looking looking for, daytime or nighttime, Zoom or in person, weekends or weekdays, costs. What are they th- What are they comfortable paying? And we're going to have some kind of survey forms going up um, in the next week or two. It'll probably have to wait till at the end of next week. Uh actually we'll probably wait till after Memorial Day. Um and we'll have that for technology stuff, and we'll also have some of that uh, posted for the financial uh offerings that we have. Um the other thing is uh, like you said, render. The other thing is I'm looking to I'll probably speak there at a conference this year that's coming up. And uh also if anyone's looking for a software development firm, we're always looking for new clients. And Along with the survey for the in-person classes, I'll probably post a survey to see like what kind of paid um, online courses uh, people would like to see. Uh, There's, I mean, there's a level of depth I go into on my YouTube uh, videos, which is a lot different than the level of depth that I would go to through on my in-person videos. I have some old courses that are on Udemy and some old stuff that's on Gumroad, but a lot of that stuff needs to be updated. And usually what those courses are, it's all the videos, 4K, all the source code. Um, and usually there's uh, way, there's a high level of documentation that's provided along with the content. So then the other thing I've kind of been playing with is, you know, putting some stuff behind a paywall and kind of creating a discord group to support the people. So like, hey, here's a monthly fee uh, for this monthly fee, you know, you get access to this video content. I'm trying to figure out, like, do I just restrict it and give you access to it for, you know, before everybody else, and give you access to Discord. I'm just trying to figure out a way, like, as you know, I don't get paid for any of that free content that I put out, right? And I put out a lot of free content. Um, but I need to figure out a way to monetize it. And so I'm trying to find ways to make it accessible, but not free, right? You know, every, you know my time costs something and, you know, hopefully people value the uh, content and knowledge that I give them enough to pay something for.
0: Yep, absolutely. I'm a firm believer. If it's something valuable, you can pay for it.
1: And so, you know, i um, always happy for someone to hit me up on uh, social media. Give me their thoughts on that. Uh, give me their thoughts on additional content they'd like to see, or, you know, just to say hi. And also anybody who hears this, you know, make sure you come through and say, hi, I'll be down in Atlanta for Render. I think that's from the 31st to June through June 2nd. So make sure you stop by and say hi. And uh, that's pretty much all I got.
0: Nice, nice. And like you said, check him out on YouTube, Aaron Saunders. He has a lot of great content, like with the Ionic framework. He gave me a better understanding of it uh, as opposed to just going through the docs because, you know, the docs sometimes aren't that great. Also, like, just check him out on Twitter, Instagram. He has all his initiatives there. And when you do that survey, please send us the link so we can share it. And I will. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, we're going to end it here. We thank you so much for coming up.
1: Oh, and thank you for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know I had to get you on here. <laughs> this is Mike Legabo with Tech Royalty, where we celebrate the kings of tech. And we're out of here.